You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. You know, you have to listen to this episode. I love talking shop with restaurant owners, operators, and general managers, and this guest is no exception. Ms. Casey Anton is a former restaurateur who had a very unique beginning in the business in a management training program that started her out as a dishwasher, and then she rose through just about every position in the restaurant before managing a property. And then she went on to open her own highly successful restaurant in the city of Boston. We're going to be talking all about the cost controls and profit maximization piece and how important it is to know your critical numbers, maximizing your menu profit. We're going to talk about daily break-even. We're going to talk about the systems that are necessary to run that restaurant effectively. We're going to talk about staff training and the importance of a daily pre-shift meeting. So much before we go on to a very unique and perhaps counterintuitive way of looking at how you manage the cash and cash flow in your restaurant. It's called Profit First. You're not going to want to miss this, so stay tuned to this episode. You know, scheduling staff is like being an air traffic controller. Sticky notes, emails, texts. There's so many requests. Your employees say, I didn't see the schedule. I can't work Friday. I need to switch with Sally. I asked for time off. Well, it's time to land those planes. With hot schedules, all requests go into one system to build the perfect schedule. Staff can get their schedule seven ways, including a powerful app. They can easily communicate with managers, pick up, or change a shift in just a few clicks. There's even a template for recurring schedules based on sales, traffic, budgets, you name it. See why Hot Schedules is the number one staff scheduling app on iTunes and why over 170,000 restaurants in over 60 countries are using Hot Schedules to save time, manage costs, and grow their business. Go to hotschedules.com forward slash free hyphen trial for a free demo. I'll repeat that, hotschedules.com forward slash free hyphen trial for the free demo. Check it out. You know, there are a thousand details to run a restaurant, and it pays to let the pros handle the critical elements of your business. When I ran restaurants, having a specialized payroll company was absolutely essential, and it gave me peace of mind. Well, thanks to Square Payroll, your restaurant can focus on taking care of business without worrying about all the fine details of payroll. With just a few clicks, you can pay W-2 employees and contractors. You can seamlessly import time data without ever adding hours manually. Yes, Square even has an app for that. They can even calculate and pay credit card tips. Square handles all payroll withholding, payments, and filing at no additional cost. Best of all, pricing is fair and flexible and scales with your business. It's just $29 per month plus $5 per month per employee. Benefits like health insurance, 401k, workers' comp, and pre-tax spending are also available. Go to square.com forward slash go forward slash rockstar and get three free months of Square Payroll. Again, get three free months of Square Payroll at square.com forward slash go forward slash rockstar. Check it out. 
Now, on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, very appropriate in this episode, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. With me today is Ms. Casey Anton, and she is a former restaurateur. We're going to get into all of that, but now a business consultant and a certified profit first master. And what does that mean? Well, Profit First is a really interesting book. Um, it's written by Michael Michalowicz, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is that correct? Michalowicz. So Michalowicz. super close. Yeah. Oh, I keep doing that. Michalowicz. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're going to get in all about what Profit First is all about and techniques and a whole new concept of looking at how you run your small business or your restaurant. So welcome to the show today, Casey. So glad you're here. Thank you, Roger. Absolute pleasure to be here. Huge fan of your podcast, your website, everything you're doing for restaurateurs. Love it all. Thank you so much. Uh, Kind words coming from a former restaurateur. I absolutely love talking shop. So we're going to get into this and we're going to talk all about what your experience running restaurants was about. But first of all, we normally start with the guest backstory. So how you got into the hospitality space and some of your experiences there, if you wouldn't mind telling us. Sure. God, there's so much. I'm going to try and get it as short as I can. Well, let's start when I was six years old. <laughs> now, I have always wanted to get into the restaurant industry, uh, not something that my parents or anyone in my family were involved in or wanted me to be involved in, but it, is, it was just my calling from a very young age. Um, just, I used to play a restaurant. I used to create all this food, make my parents sit in the dining room on a Tuesday night. I just I loved restaurants. And about 13, I think I was finally able to uh, negotiate my first job, and that was at a Bonanza, um, like a Ponderosa. Um, I don't even know if those are around anymore. But, I don't um, think they are, but you know, so funny, I used to go to those with my parents when I was a child also. So that takes me back decades, of course. Way back. Oh, I God, remember the cool. Texas toast, you know, the, and the steaks mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I remember Bonanza quite well. That was my first foray. And I just loved restaurants even more after that, just being around that type of celebration and eating out. And I loved it. And from there, um, I started working at other little little restaurants, mostly kind of fast food type, ice cream shops, whatnot. Um, I went to college in Rhode Island at the University of Rhode Island uh, because my parents did not want me to go to Johnson & Wales. They really talked me out of getting that very narrowly focused hospitality degree that I wanted. So we compromised and I got just a, a business degree. But the whole time I was working in restaurants right around the university. Um, and then as soon as I graduated, I moved, I moved to Newport, Rhode Island. And I got a job at the Chart House, uh, which is still a national chain. It's I not, remember that chain, yeah. Yeah, and it's in fact, a, um, I used to go. I was a customer at the Newport, Rhode Island Chart House, so our backgrounds are sort of paralleling right now. Yeah, but, Bowen's Wharf. Yep. Exactly, and they were all nautical themed, and they had mm-hmm. primarily seafood and steak menus, and obviously full bar and all that sort of thing. But their locations were usually waterfront locations. Exactly, you know, or and, uh, mountain. Because they started in Vail, Colorado. That was the first one. Uh, and then they went to California. And yeah, so they used to, there used to be, I think, almost 80 of them. And now they've really drawn back. And I think there's maybe 20. But they're still the same high-end steakhouse, seafood-type restaurant. Still um, in Newport and Boston? Both those locations yes, still operating? Yep. yep. Okay. Well, definitely Boston. I actually haven't been back to Newport. But I think it is still there, as a matter of fact. Um, and I just went to one in Savannah, Georgia, a couple months ago. And that was, that was great. Um, but at the time, so I graduated in 95 from URI, uh, Charthouse had the restaurant management program to get involved in if that was where you wanted to go was being restaurants. Um, it was called champ. 
for Chart House Administrative Management Program, and it was hard to get into, so they would say. Um, so I worked at the Newport Chart House for about a year before I applied. I was accepted into the program, and they moved me to the Boston Chart House, the big one. Let me one. ask you a question. Before yeah. you got into this management training program, and, and they moved you to Boston, and it's really interesting what you learned in that program. Were you a server? Were you working in the kitchen? What did you do in Newport before you got into the program? Well, at the time, like every chart house, everybody starts out as a dishwasher or a busser. Oh, that, no kidding. No matter what, no matter what your experience was, they make you start there and you kind of have to earn your stripes before they'll move you up. So I started there, but I ended up doing everything. Um, I did not work in the kitchen there, but I worked in the office. I was a bartender and I was a server and I did everything in between. So we did everything. Yeah. And they made everyone do that. So then you were accepted in this exclusive training program and they mm -hmm. automatically just moved you to Boston and said, okay, now you're going to work in the Boston location and yep. you, you're going to start over again as a dishwasher, as a busser and do all those exactly. things. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Exactly. They, yep. They start you right over from the beginning and they work you six days a week at least. And they work you double shifts and in every single position for a good solid four to six weeks in every position you work at. So you know, from dishwasher to prep cook to butcher um, meat and fish um, to the garmage and behind the line and then the oh. bar back and the bar. You work in everything. And I um, priceless I, experience, right? Oh, it was an amazing. It was tough. I mean, 6 a.m. to like noon or one. You get like a two, three hour break. You come back and you work four to midnight. It was it was pretty grueling, but it was immersive. And I it was probably the best experience I ever had in terms of learning so much and about four months, four to five months, I think it was. Fantastic. And then when you graduate from it, um, they'll, they allow you to go, or they don't really allow you, they kind of give you some areas that you could go into in other chart houses around the country. And that was kind of my ideal. Like, I, oh, I could go travel around. But the highest earning ones, uh, Boston was like the in the top three, and they offered me the assistant uh, GM in Boston. And that's really why I, why I wanted to stay. My family's from New England. So it was pretty ideal. I stayed there. Um, I worked there, um, worked my butt off for a full year. And then on a, one night off, one of the servers said, oh, let me take you around Boston. Because honestly, at this point, I all I did was work. I didn't even see the city at all. Mm -hmm. I would go up and visit my parents in Maine if I had a day off. But um, we went around and I just discovered all these small boutique, fun, interesting restaurants that I honestly had no idea even existed. So I started going out on my Sunday night that was off every Sunday, just experiencing these different restaurants. And eventually I fell in love with this one that had just opened in the South End. And the South End was really just starting to become up and coming at the time. It was called La Betula, and the chef was Rene Michelena. Oh. And he's won lots of accolades and, and best chef and uh, James Beard and food and wine. And he, he was really a master. And I got to work in that restaurant as hired as a manager. I eventually became their director of operations and they owned another restaurant in the theater district that I also worked for. And that was another great experience. And I learned a lot about the back end, a lot about accounting and that experience. That was kind of my first foray into the numbers. Um, I've worked and I've worked in so many other restaurants around Boston, but from Labatsula, from that experience, I met a lot of people that had a lot of money and a lot of them wanted to invest at the time. So myself and two business partners got together. We worked on a business plan of a concept that we thought was going to be unique and fun. And uh, we ended up getting full funding within a couple of months of, of submitting our business plan to a few individuals. And we opened our first restaurant in November of 1999. It's called Bomboa, located right in between the, uh, the Back Bay and South End of Boston. 
And that was, um, it was fine dining, but it was fun fine dining. It was global Latin. Uh, it was kind of cavernous, changing lights, a huge six foot fish, live fish tank in the back. It was very cool. We had a heyday there for quite a while. How many seats would you say? I was 90 seats. 90 seats. Okay. Yep. Wow. And describe the ambiance to me because three most important things, food, service, ambiance, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting the vibe. I'm getting the location because I lived in Boston for a while too. And again, eclectic little restaurants in every neighborhood all over the city. And now, uh, yeah. What was that like? The ambiance? Oh yeah. So I, I had mentioned it was kind of cavernous. So it was definitely dark in there, but behind we had a huge zinc bar. The restaurant used to be called restaurant zinc before we bought it. And it was beautiful. And behind it was uh, backlit with slowly changing colored fluorescent lights. And in the very, it was kind of narrow, a long, narrow restaurant. And the very back wall was a full six foot wide fish tank. So that illuminated the entire dining room. And we had candles everywhere. So it was like dark and cavernous, but it was sensual in a way and the menu the global latin it was just more the chef uh felino samson is a great chef and he would do i mean we would do a very custom steak frites with chimichurri he did a lot of different seafood dishes um you know grilled watermelon with calamari you know it was definitely accessible food with a little bit of a twist a little bit of a latin twist and uh Lots of sangria, lots of mojitos. I think we were one of the first to do mojitos in Boston, and we sold those like hotcakes every single night. That was that was a great, that was great for our liquor signature boss. drink. Did you oh, yeah. do a soft opening? Um, not really. No, we kind of flew right into it. Yeah, right. You know, we thought we knew everything at the time, so we just got right into it, and uh, it was a party every was, single uh, night. Was zinc closed before when, when you, you know, kind of did this transformation? Yeah. It had been closed for a it while? It had been closed. Yeah, it had been closed for maybe a, up to a year. I'm trying oh, to remember. Okay. Maybe up to a year, probably less than that. And what did you do for marketing? Like, how did you do the launch and let people know that you were starting this new concept with the Global Latin theme? We had uh, a list that we've been accumulating, but, uh, you know, quite honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of marketing. I mean, it was... The area that we were in, there was a lot of people right around that area. And we would go out every single night. We were young, right? I was 26 at the time. So we were out every night at all the different restaurants and bars talking up, hey, we're opening up this restaurant. So it was very bootstrapped, very word of mouth. And my business partner at the time, he was very well known and connected in the city. Um, So he was just constantly out there telling everybody he was great at that. So we had no problem having a full house getting in. And we had had eight investors. So we we grabbed one and he invited his friends. So we had eight investors and they told everybody. So it was definitely all word of mouth at that time. Again, that was in 1999. Lots of well-connected people spreading the word, and then all of a sudden there's a buzz created. So what were the guests' first impressions of you know opening night and then, say, the next week or two? I mean, were there bugs that you had to work out? Did the staff perform flawlessly? Did all the food come out? I mean, what do you recall happening? Because the business of a thousand details, of course. It sure is. Um, I remember the the front of the house staff being very well prepared. These were all seasoned professionals that we hired. Many of them followed us from the other restaurants we had worked at. So we were super lucky there. I think the kitchen had a harder time of keeping up, which I guess would probably be true with a lot of restaurants. If you don't really know what to expect, if you don't do that soft opening and realize how long it's going to take to fire certain things, that was always kind of the struggle on busy nights was getting the food to get into a rhythm. I ended up spending a lot of my nights expediting down there and really just yelling at the chefs to 
move, 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 because that was probably our biggest issue there was getting the food out on time and just establishing a rhythm through the night so we could turn the tables. Okay, good. So, so how long did you run the, uh, this restaurant and what happened? Like what were the good high points and low points and all that sort of thing? We had it for seven years, seven lucky years. We had this restaurant. I sold it in uh, August, 2006. I want to say it was, um, we, you know, it was the best of times and the worst of times. I, we were on the cover of some of the local, I think it was Stuff at Night, I think it was called, um, the Improper Bostonian. Um, we, we, we'd won Food and Wine Magazine Best Restaurant for a year. So we definitely... That's great press. Yeah, we were in the Wine Spectator. We got a lot of really great press in the, in the first three to four years. That was amazing. Um, and, I, you know, I do remember we had these zebra-striped uh, banquettes at the front of the restaurant and around midnight is when th- and this was tradition is uh when my business partner and i would sit down and we'd have sangria or a bottle of wine this is back when you could smoke in restaurants too and we'd finally sit down for the night and we would eat our dinner like you know midnight twelve thirty. i'll never forget this gentleman i think a dad i think I mean, he wasn't there with his kids obviously but you know you could just tell it was a dad and his wife and i think another couple and they came over to us they oh, are you the owners yeah yeah we're the owners we went to stand up and shake their hands We're like no 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 we just wanted to tell you this is probably the best experience we've ever had boston needs a place like this this was so much fun the food was incredible the staff was amazing and i'll just ne- i'll never forget that moment and that's happened several times we're, we're super lucky but i'll never forget the first time that that happened and have that gentleman come up here and, and basically tell us everything that we wanted to create. He felt and he ate and he smelled and it was, it was awesome. Tremendous accolades. And you're right. I mean, that, that is definitely what makes this business so passionate and so fulfilling when you're putting out, you know, so many dinners and, and you're trying to get everything perfect and your customers absolutely love what you're doing. And then they bring it to your attention and then they just elevate and you share that with the team. And that's, that's really what builds that whole culture of hospitality, family, and fun that I call it. That's beautiful. Yep. Sure did. Wow. I love that story. That's fantastic. So let's dive into running that restaurant. I mean, you're obviously very dialed because you had that management training experience. You had the accounting experience. So you knew the numbers, you knew the, the marketing, you knew the customer service, you knew literally the whole show. So you, yeah. it sounds like you ran a really tight ship. I mean, you took inventory, you knew what your prime costs were yeah. and oh, you yeah. monitored that every single week very, very closely. I'm sure I'm just assuming, but it sounds like that's something you would have done. Every day, every week. Yep. I was on them with a whip. Yeah, we absolutely did. I knew all my numbers. I was the one doing all the numbers. You know, I think maybe one of my biggest mistakes is that I was doing all all the numbers myself. So I knew them all and rather than spend more time with the guests or marketing or upstairs. And that it was never an issue in the first few years. The last few years, you know, it definitely probably should have been more engaged with the guests, but I was fixated on those numbers and you know and we were doing inventories of course i can't imagine not that's you know those are stacks of cash sitting on shelves you have to do your inventories so but what would happen i you know the frustrating part of what would happen is you, you, i might present to the chef hey your food cost is 34% last month we, we can't rent at that no it's not no it is and here's the detailed numbers no it can't be you know so that was a, probably the frustrating part is that I'd have the proof, I'd have the numbers, the invoices, the sales, the backup of everything. And the chef would be like, no, that can't be right. So, you know, what we're going to get into with profit first is there's a way through this, this cash management system 
that it's it's proven and it's immediate. It'll show you what your numbers are just by using the system. So that's one of the reasons why I'm such a huge proponent of it right now for restaurants is that was one of my biggest things is you can you can have your target percentages, you can know your prime cost, but if you can't get everybody on board that you need on board to perform with you, then it's just, you know, what are you going to do? It's It can be well, very that, frustrating. That begs the question because, okay, again, our, our experiences are very similar in that I had several chefs over the years. I had several kitchen managers over the years. The chefs would elevate the menu with the culinary quality of the food they put out, but the opposite cost was at a high food cost. Right. Whereas the kitchen managers were totally dialed into the profit. They did the ordering. They did the scheduling. They, kept, they ran a really, really tight ship. And we had competent quality line cooks that were putting out good food. But we were not a fine dining place. We were a fast cat, not, not fast casual. We were a family casual place. So we didn't need a full-blown trained culinarian. But when I go back to the question, the chefs I had couldn't cost out a menu to save their life, you know, and they would present me costs and I would do the math and it was all upside down and wrong. So right. the chef that you had in your restaurant, did he cost out each menu item? Did you verify those costs? Because basically if those costs were accurate, you know, and based on the volume you were doing with those dishes, you know, it, the numbers should have equated and he, he claimed that his food cost was not 34%, but you had all the backup that said it was. So was there right. a link there somewhere? there must've been a missing link and I can't exactly put my finger on what one thing it was. I would absolutely cost that as a venue. I'd follow him around in the kitchen and I'd be like, how much salt was that? I mean, we would, I would cost it out to the penny. So I would know. Um, and overall with the menu mix, we figured, okay, this is what we should be running. And in the end we wouldn't be running that. I mean, sometimes we would, but, but overall we probably weren't. And, you know, I feel like that there was waste going on or portion control issues. And, you know, with chefs, unlike kitchen managers, they're, you know, they're just not going to want to measure things necessarily on a plate. It's it's more fluid for them. And I think that ended up costing us a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I don't ever want to, you know, say anything negative because there are a lot of really, really quality people out there Mm -hmm. in, in a variety of positions. But like you say, some are really, really focused on the whole picture and have the attention to detail. And you have to be careful when you're an owner, a general manager, and you hire someone that doesn't necessarily care about all those other details. It's not just about putting putting out pretty food. I mean, I had a chef once that was putting 12-year age cheddar cheese on my burgers and we weren't charging a quarterling for it. And I'm like, whoa, you know? And we were selling lots of burgers back then. And all these little points cost you money. And again, you know, are you running an art gallery? Are you running a production facility and or somewhere in between? Right. You know, I mean, this, this, these are critical key learnings for any operator or manager out there that's listening. And the one big piece that we haven't talked about yet is there's often a huge spread of profit between categories in different items. So if we're talking about appetizers, if you haven't costed everything out and run a product mix report and see the volume of sales, you just might find out that your least profitable items are the biggest sellers. And every time you sell A versus B, you're losing like 3 to $4 profit when you're right. making it. And it's even exacerbated in the entree category when the price of the entrees are higher. You could be losing $7, $10, $12 profit every time you sell the least price. You know, so go back to the drawing board for folks. Design a menu where everything contributes, yes. to, you know, an equal 
or a very similar profit, make sure you cross utilize your ingredients across the menu. Mm -hmm. So you're not bringing in items that get wasted or, or trashed or thrown away. Like Casey's saying, you've got a waste and a spoilage problem. I mean, these are all just key learnings and I'm so glad you're bringing that up. Okay. Let me ask you about staff training. That was a huge thing in my restaurants and it wasn't just about hospitality and service. It was also about salesmanship because your people on the floor, your bartenders, your servers, you know, even the hosts, it's like we trained everyone to make suggestions we knew the guests oh, would yeah. enjoy and appreciate. That's so important in restaurants. What was so important? That? Yeah. So again, we were super lucky and hired all experienced, very experienced people. So they kind of knew, they knew the game before they got into it, but we would continue to promote that through, you know, through our culture. I mean, uh, pre-staff, pre-dinner, pre-shift meetings were regular. I mean, there was never a time we didn't do a pre-shift meeting with everybody involved. And it would be, you know, a good 15 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes. Um, on a busy night, if I if I felt the vibe was down, we would try and do like a quick like two-minute dance party, just trying to get the energy up. Um, mm -hmm. but we, in terms of selling, yeah, I mean, we would run contests. I mean, that was big back then, but I'd run contests. If I, if I knew that, you know, our food costs was suffering a little bit, I would say, all right, whoever saw the most sides, because generally there's a good profit margin inside. Mm -hmm. So we might have a, a, a contest with that, or if we were trying to sell through a certain bottle of wine or, you know, contests were pretty big. And just because the staff, you know, was experienced, you know, they were experienced and they were competitive. So they kind of enjoyed doing the things like that. Um, but it was also making sure that they knew that they weren't order takers, right? These were sales. These were professional sales. They were not order takers. Absolutely. So the so knowing the menu, and we made sure everybody tasted every single item. And our menu changed a lot. I mean, Chef is so creative and so talented. He was constantly changing the menu. So everybody got to have what was on the menu. Everyone got to taste the wine. Um, so they would be able to sell it. We would do wine tests a lot because that was pretty big. People would be able to talk eloquently about the wine list without having to come grab me or the maitre d about that. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, we share the such similar philosophies on how to run a restaurant. I mean, this is how you run a restaurant folks. All these details matter mm -hmm. and training is essential. I'm glad you brought up the daily pre-shift because so many restaurants out there, aren't training to the full extent of what is possible or what is, what is, you know, what, what you really need to do to provide the best service experience to your customers and to, you know, implement that key salesmanship piece that you're talking about. So every single day, yeah. whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, it's time yeah. well spent and it's not a cost. It's an investment in your restaurant and a competitive advantage as well. Oh, it sets the tone for the night. And I can't even imagine not having a pre-shift because then it's like you lost control. You don't know what's going to happen with the night. I mean, it's really the front of the house staff that controls that guest experience, um, especially for new guests, but for any guests, you know, first time impression in a restaurant is critical. So setting the tone by that pre-shift meeting, whether it's quick or it's long and it's just keeping it upbeat, reminding people, this isn't hearts and lungs, it's dinner. Let's have some fun. Let's do this. Um, that, you know, that was critical every single night to get everybody, you know, pumped and happy and excited. And I think that's what made the difference. And, and it came back to us in the feedback we would get from our customers. Yeah. Think about it. It's like the team huddle before the Super Bowl, right? You mm -hmm. got to get everybody pumped up and yep. every night is the Super Bowl, you know, That's it's right. business, folks. And I always used to say, you know, before your doors open for business, it's like the curtain goes up and it's showtime and everybody on the floor is there oh, yeah. to entertain, right? Your actors and actresses on stage, exactly. you're there to dazzle the, dazzle the customers 
And that only leads to positive online reviews and great experiences and buzz and happy customers and more spend. They'll spend more if they're having more fun. All those sort of things are so important. And it all starts with a pre-shift. Yep. Simple idea. Sure it does. But sure not does. enough restaurants are doing it every day. So I'm glad you, you recommend that because I do as well. All right. Um, do you want to talk any more about uh, your restaurant experience or do you want to dive into Profit First? Um, I think we can dive into Profit First and I might weave in my experience with that. So let's, let's go. Please do. So if you're just tuning in, Profit First is a really amazing concept and it's a book. Michael Mikkel- Michalowicz. God, yes. I'm sorry. Michael Michalowicz wrote a book called Profit First and it's a counterintuitive but very unique way of looking at your business, your restaurant, however it is. And Casey with us today is a certified Profit First master. So tell us first what that means and then let's talk about the concept of Profit First. Okay, great. So Profit First, like you said, based on the book, but what it is, is a, it's a cash management system. So it's not a new way of doing accounting. Accounting is accounting. You have balance sheets and profit and loss and cash flow statements. None of that's going to change. This is a cash management system that kind of overlays over your accounting, which really puts intention behind every single dollar that comes into your business. And it is a game changer. So Profit First is based on um, bank balance accounting is what he calls it. It really is. And and this might sound familiar to some of your listeners. I certainly know it's the way we ran our restaurant and the way I even ran my my, um, consulting business in the beginning, which is you log into your bank account online, you look at your balance, you say, all right, there's eight grand in there. Okay, I got eight grand to spend. What do I I got? Payroll, I got rent, I got whatever. And and you know what? You spend eight grand because that's what you have. But what most people don't realize is inside that eight grand is your profit. It's possibly your owner's pay, is your owner's taxes, or other things in that eight grand, but you just went and spent it because those might not necessarily be on your mind. So profit first, it what it does is it takes that natural tendency that most entrepreneurs have of bank balance accounting and it leverages it. So instead, we have you open multiple accounts, and I can get into the system exactly how it works in a little bit, but what, you have multiple accounts so that as every deposit comes in or on a regular basis, you squirrel some money away for profit, owner's pay, tax, whatever. there's other things we do for the restaurant. And then that main account that you're used to looking at, that we, we call it an OPEX or operating expense account that you're used to looking at, now maybe it has six grand that used to have eight. And so that natural tendency to be like, okay, I log in, I look, I got six grand. All right, I got six grand. I got this, this, this to pay. And you can do it. And it's okay to spend the six grand because we've already taken care of the important stuff, the really important stuff like profit, like paying the owners and setting it aside. And when you can do that, everything else will come into, come into play or come into form, come into line, I guess is a way to say it. So as I'll say in the book, in the very beginning, it says um, accounting is based off a lie. And he'll say that that lie is sales minus expenses equals profit. I think that's what we all learned. If you took accounting in high school or college, you probably learned that sales Correct. minus yeah. expenses equal profit. And that's putting profit last. It makes profit the leftovers, like, you know, the last kid to be picked for a kickball team. It's the, it's the end. And, and why, why would you want to treat your profit as the leftovers when it actually is one of the most important things that you need in a business because profit serves a lot of purposes. It services debt, it services growth, it services the owners, the shareholders. I mean, there's so many uses and needs for profit that it should never come last. So all he did in, in this book with his philosophy is he said, okay, let's just flip the equation. 
the math's the same, but we're going to flip it. So now we're going to say sales minus profit equals your expenses. And if you really look at it that way and you say, okay, here are my sales. All right, this is the profit I should be making based on my projections and whatnot, which I'm sure everyone has for the restaurant. And you set that aside, now equals expenses. Okay, well, that's what I have left and, I, and it's going to conform to what I need. And I know restaurants can do this. I know, I know I could have done it had I known this because what happens when there's a snowstorm? What happens when the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, you know, and your restaurant's going to be dead on a Saturday? I mean, what happens? Well, you make it work. Your sales are going to drop. You don't even have to close for a night in a snowstorm, but you don't shut the restaurant down forever and say goodbye, right? You make it work. So if you actually can figure out, you can do your accounting in this way where you set aside money for important things and you leave the leftovers as your expenses and run with that, I know you can do it. And restaurants do it all the time. Wow. That's so, you know, so few people would look at, I mean, what a unique and, and well, there's the counterintuitive part, right? You started with that basic accounting equation that everyone takes as gospel. Right. And, you know, I, I can't touch anything until all the expenses are gone. Here's a different twist or a paradigm shift on, on looking at it. But this sounds transformative. And obviously you've worked with lots of clients that have started this system. Where do you begin, Casey? So I'm, an, I'm a restaurant operator. I'm just opening a place this week. Uh, I announced that to you. I've been out of the business yeah. for five years and I just bought a restaurant on Monday. And now we're going into a restaurant that didn't make much money. There was very little profit there. Their costs are stratospheric. And you know we see opportunities. We see ways of making the, the restaurant more efficient. We're adding a liquor license, which they didn't have before. We're going to add a new source of profits there. So you might say it's somewhat of a turnaround situation, but if I wanted to immediately implement this profit first concept, is it possible for a place that's barely making any money for me to take my piece first before take us there? Yeah, not only possible, it's, it's what should happen if, if okay. your plan is to grow and to thrive or even survive. It absolutely should happen. So I'll, I'll take you through the step-by-step step and Stay with me because it might sound a little scary in the beginning, but I promise you it's not. It's, it is a transformative way uh, to move the money through your business and to, be, and to make, profit, make profitability happen. I'm totally intrigued. <laughs> Take me there. So the standard way profit first works is um, you open five checking accounts. Stay with me. I know. I mean, as a, as a bookkeeper, I mean, that's what I've been doing accounting for the last 11 years. I would be yep. annoyed when someone came with, same account came to me with more than one checking account. Like, oh God, this is going to be a mess, right? This, this is not a mess. This actually keeps things nice and clean and simple and intentional. So the basic system has five accounts. You have an income account. So you have five free checking and there's tons of banks that do offer free checking and no minimum. So you have an income account, then a profit account, owner's pay, a tax account, and then the last one is the OPEX for operating expense account. And what happens in a traditional business is in that first account I mentioned, that income account, that's where all your deposits, all your sales, they just pile up in that one account. And we let that happen. And you know, the book will talk about letting that happen for about two weeks and then allocating for restaurants because cash flow is usually a little tougher. I would say at least weekly, maybe even more often than weekly, where you allow all that income to kind of settle in the income account, and then you're going to transfer based on percentages to your profit account first, then your owner's pay, then that tax account, and then the last is going to go to the OPEX account. And again, those are the checking accounts. So you're going to put the money in there so that income account goes to zero, 
-hmm. The rest are now populated. The second thing that you're going to do is you're going to take that money in that profit account and that money in that tax account, that taxes for the owner's taxes, the owner's tax liability. So it's similar to owner's pay. And we're going to move that to a remote savings account for an entire quarter. So it's out of sight, out of mind. You can't be tempted to go in there and swipe out that profit because you want to buy something new or whatnot. Like it's going to be out of sight, out of mind and make money for you on a remote savings account. Great. Yes. The owner's pay account is used to pay the owner because they should not be paid last. And what, you know, what happens when the owner doesn't realize that they need to come first is whether they know it or not, they're going to start to resent the business a little bit. And it shows up in so many ways. But if the owner knows that they're important, the business is there because of them and they get paid and they feel appreciated by their business, they're going to appreciate that business back so much more. And I see this happening with all the clients we have doing this. So it does work. And then that last one, the OPEX, which is going to have the highest percentage. So it's not like we're leaving nothing in there for you to run your restaurant on. It's going to have the highest percentage. That's what you have to pay your expenses and you make sure that expenses conform. And if they don't, if the expenses are too high, then you either need to cut them or you need to decide where you're going to take it from. Are you going to take it out of your pay? Are you going to take it out of your taxes and really be hurting next April? Are you going to take it out of the profit? You make that decision, but you, you generally don't have to because the expenses will conform because they have since the beginning of time, right? When you open your restaurant, you decide what the expenses are going to be. You decide what they're going to be. So they will conform to that. But I'm working on Profit First for Restaurants specifically um, with Mike, with the owner, possibly a book, Profit First for Restaurants, like there's a Profit First for Contractors. So that's the very beginning stages. Mm -hmm. But I'm working, I'm starting to work on that now. And so for restaurants, I'd like them to open a couple other accounts. Stay with me here. I promise you this is going to be nice and clean. So for restaurants, and I work uh, with a lot of restaurants, so I see where the struggles are. Oftentimes, meals tax or sales tax, you know, gets behind. And that's never a good thing when it does. Uh, that's not the restaurant's money to be using. Um, it's when it's almost a snowball when it starts to get behind. We don't want to see that happen. So I recommend for restaurants to do profit first, they open up a separate meals tax account and you immediately take that money as it comes in. You put that over there and use that account to pay your sales tax so that stays that stays legit and on time all the time. A labor account, because labor is one of the highest prime costs Correct. you're going to have in a restaurant. And if you want to be able to cover that, then you then you make sure you have that separated out. And so if your labor is running over, you're putting 30% or 30 cents on every dollar in that labor account. And all of a sudden, that's not enough to cover when you're told what your payroll sweep is. You immediately know that you have a problem. Now, with traditional accounting, you don't know that until your month is closed, the P&L is closed, and then it's issued to you, and oh, I'm running a 35% labor cost. But then it's kind of too late, right? So profit first, it immediately shows you, hey, we put 30% on this account, but your payroll sweep is more than that. You immediately know there's a problem, and then you can make, you can make show, you know, changes to fix that. The last account I'd have them open is a vendor or cost of goods sold account to pay your food and liquor or beverage vendors out of. Because again, if you know that your menu costing and your prime cost should be say 30 or 32% for food and beverage combined, then putting 32 cents of every dollar into that account should cover it. And if it comes to the day where you're paying all your vendor bills and there's not enough money to cover it, well, guess what? You immediately know that there's a problem. 
and you're going to fix it immediately rather than waiting for your month end close. And if you even look at your PL to realize there's a problem. So it fixes it immediately. It keeps, it's a great cash flow management system because you're actually going to see the way the cash is moving through your business, know what it's being allocated to, know where you're spending the money, and know what you need to focus your attention on. If you're if you're you know struggling to pay vendors, well then there's a problem with your food or beverage and that's where your focus should be. If you're if the labor is getting too high and you're gonna immediately know, well then your scheduling and you know your staffing, that's gonna be where your focus is. It brings your attention to where the attention is needed rather than a thousand different places. Because as you say, there's I mean there's a thousand moving pieces to any restaurant. And you can't keep yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And it is so disconcerting that the profit piece, the cost control piece is one of those details that often gets neglected. One, because operators, you know, there are a lot of people out there, Casey, that hate numbers. They're scared mm-hmm. to death of numbers, you know. And if only there was a simple system, and this sounds like this is that system, that now suddenly it's giving you a new tool that, that literally shows you where the holes are. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I, and it might sound like it's ominous, but honestly, if you think yeah. about it, you log into your bank account and you see, you're going to see these accounts, you nickname them all, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to see income and you're just going to let that money pile up. And maybe on Tuesday, after all the weekend credit cards hit, might be a good day for a restaurant to do that. And you, know, you get 25 grand in there. Well, we're going to have percentages for you. We do that through a profit assessment. That's probably for another time, but that's something, a service we provide is is a profit assessment, which what what that is, let me just get into it for a second so people understand what I'm talking about, percentages. What that is, is we take um, either one year, 18 months, or 24 months of the history of the financials for a business. And we look at historically where your money has gone in terms of those categories. So how much money has gone to your profit distributions? How much do owners pay, tax, OPEX? You know, for restaurants, we'll say how much has gone to your food and liquor? How much has gone to labor? And we get that. And those are called caps, or your current allocation percentages. That's just where the money's been going the last year or two. And then based on the software that we use through Profit First, it'll say, well, For the revenue stream that your business is in and in the restaurant industry, the best performing restaurants are running at these percentages. So maybe it's 15% for profit and 20 for owner's pay and five for tax and the rest for OPEX or something like that. So what we do is we have our, where we're at, where we're at now, our current allocation percentages, where we want to be. And every quarter, we just move the needle a little bit. We change those percentages every quarter, moving toward, toward our target. So as we do, we log into that bank account and we go to move all that money out of the income and put it in the other accounts. Every quarter, we're just going to adjust those percentages. So a little more goes to profit, a little more to owner's pay, maybe a little more to tax. And that means a little bit less to OPEX, but we do it so slowly, so it's not a shock to the system. Right. As we do that, we ask the owners, hey, just make sure that, you know, you're, you're not expensing anything that doesn't need to be expensed, that you're looking at your costs. Oh, we see a problem here with labor. Let's really look at that. And they immediately know where the, like I said, where the focus goes. It almost gamifies it away, which is why I think this has been so successful for all businesses. So once you dial this in over time and refine it and refine it, then you're hitting what I would call the sweet spot. All the percentages in each of those bank accounts is dialed for that sweet spot. And then there's, you know, obviously the unexpected does happen. Things, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, uh, my dishwasher just broke down. I got to replace it. It's $5,000. Then you fit, you know, stuff adjustments happen, but everything is operating as it should, then 
you got to, you know, reach out and find that sweet spot. What is the period of time, would you say, if there was a timeline to starting this process tomorrow to dialing in that sweet spot, how many is it a couple of months before you really got this thing refined? Or what would you say for the average restaurant? I'll see the average restaurant. So one that's not struggling constantly with cash flow because I've had that issue. Sure. Not not great. But when the average restaurant, I would say they're going to start noticing improvements in that way, probably in the first, within the first two quarters. So probably four okay. to six months, okay. if, if not sooner, if the cash flow is really good. But realistic, I mean, that is an investment in a new way of looking at your business that will give you endless peace of mind moving forward, you know, and, and yeah, you can keep putting out the daily fires every day, but think about how much more, you know, comfort and control this is going to give your restaurant. I think it's awesome. That's exactly right, Roger. And you know, one thing I like to tell my clients is profit is not a happy accident. And I think that's where most business owners are. They think, well, if there's money left at the end of the day, great, good for me. No, profit is intentional and it's necessary for businesses for so many reasons. So take it first. It is very, it's primal. You need it. Yeah, priority one. I mean, you can give great customer service and put out delicious food, but if you're not making money in your restaurant, what's the point? Right, exactly. It won't survive. You're killing yourself and you're, you know, you're giving yourself ulcers and, you're, you're spending way too much. This is also an exit strategy, literally, whether you want to sell your restaurant in the future, it's giving this turnkey sort of a a system over to a future owner, or it's going to free up your time to go start another business or spend more time with your family and kids. And you Mm -hmm. don't have to be tied to your restaurant because you know, you're running your place. Your place isn't running you. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Is there anything we're missing that we haven't talked about? And, you know, we'll, we'll tell people how they can find you, of course, but have we missed any concepts that are important? Anything else you'd like to discuss? Uh, I think we covered all the basics. I hope I was kind of clear and not too scary about the bank accounts. Um, you know, the, at the end, what I, one thing I just kind of wanted to add to at the end of every quarter, we mentioned, I mentioned how, you know, every time you allocate, so it could be weekly, it could be daily, depending on your cash flow up to you. Every time you allocate to those other accounts, we, we're moving that profit and tax money aside and that we're letting that out of sight, out of mind. Um, and it's making money for you in a high interest bearing savings account. But at right. the end of what happens at the end of every quarter is we bring that money back into the, your local bank account. So now it's available to you to use. And what we do is for the profit account, if there's debt in the business, and again, the only way to service debt is through profit. That is, that's just a fact. That's how debt is serviced. So if there's debt, that's what we use. We use, you know, 90, 95% of that profit. And we're going to service that debt because being debt free is one of the most amazing experiences for a business possible. It's kind of rare, but when those businesses are, oh, it is the best feeling. So that's what we use it for. And the rest goes to the owner as a profit distribution. Another thing I like to add is um, I was meeting with someone starting up a, a restaurant uh, here outside of Boston uh, the other day. And she mentioned, you know, somebody wanted to be a partner and you know, in my, in my experience, partners are just never really a good idea. But what I say is, you know what, you could offer profit distribution. So they feel like, you know, profit sharing. So they have some skin in the game. They might could feel ownership without actually having that legal equity getting involved exactly. because that yep. usually doesn't end well. So if you have a regular system that allows you to take profit, which profit first does, then you have a quarterly system where you can offer profit sharing to your key employees or somebody that might want to be a partner. So this allows for this and allows for you to pay debt. It's just, 
It's just a great intentional way to take care of that. And the other piece is the tax piece. So the owner, if they do make too much money, like our, my first year, we made a lot of money in the restaurant. And at the come the following April, we were all, all like, what, what, we owe what? We did, we did not know. I learned a lot and we owed a ton of money. And I was on a payment plan for a couple of years, the IRS. I think we all were at that time, but the tax is going to take care of that. So the owner, this is, Profit First takes care of the owner because if the owner is taken care of, the business gets taken care of and can really grow, thrive, and be the best version of itself. And that's what it's about. One of the key things I really liked was the tax account of Profit mm-hmm. First because you're addressing what you just talked about. So there's no surprises at the end of the year. That's right. And the other key point I would add is make sure you're working with a really solid CPA that understands restaurant operations and have a planning meeting prior to year end so that he puts your business in the absolute best tax position so that you are not surprised with what you have to pay. Absolutely. And there's a lot of legal things that they will do because they're experts in this business. They're experts with the tax code and Mm -hmm. they will do, you know, they will give you every advantage that the average person or the average bookkeeper just can't do. So that's some advice as well. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yep. This is awesome. You know, I so appreciate your being on the show. I mean, you've given us a whole new way of looking at our business. This is a system. So if people want to find Casey, they can go mm-hmm. to sparkbusinessconsulting.com. I'm sure there's all sorts of information on Profit First mm-hmm. and about working with Casey and, and just putting this system in place in your own restaurant. I think it's great advice. I learned a lot today. And You'd be speaking with a fellow restaurateur who's been in the trenches, who operated a really solid business based on systems, based on knowing the numbers, based on giving great experiences to our customers. So it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, it's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you so much, Roger. This is great. Well, thanks again. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you in the next episode. Well, guys, what did you think of that? Profit first. At first glance, you think, wow, am I really going to open up five bank accounts? But then you think to yourself, hey, this makes sense, right? And why should I be the last one to take any money out of my business when with a whole new system, I can make sure that I get paid, that the taxes get set aside for the future, that we have enough money left over for operating expenses. It's incredible, right? I never would have thought of this, but it is a really interesting way of looking at your business. So I totally suggest that you check out Casey as at uh, sparkbusinessconsulting.com. Pretty cool stuff, right? I also wanted to announce we are so excited about our new website, right? People are flocking to it. It's gotten great press lately. Um, They love the new design. We also have the podcasts and the blogs, all the free resources and information that we love to share to help elevate the industry. And I also want you to know that we have one product and one system. It's called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy with multiple levels of membership depending on what your biggest restaurant challenges are. We can help you dial in those critical profit and cost control systems. Dial in your marketing, dial in your staff training so that your people are building your brand, building your business, giving your customers great experiences. It's lowering turnover in your restaurant because people are happier. They're making more money and it's also doubling your sales in your restaurant as well. The staff training piece. If you're just starting your very first restaurant or thinking about doing so, the Academy is the perfect tool that teaches you everything you need to know about how to start, open the doors to your restaurant and then run it 
profitably, most successfully, and put systems in place that create your exit strategy for the future, whatever that means to you. So check out the Restaurant Rockstars Academy at our website, restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks so much. If you're enjoying the podcast and like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other owners and managers find us. And if you have an interesting idea for a guest that you'd like me to reach out to and host on the show, drop me a line. My email is roger at restaurantrockstars.com. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.